Um, well, I don't see color. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, no. Just oh, kidding. So classic. Just, just that kidding. Was, I didn't know, Ari. I didn't know. Just kidding, everybody. I just wanted to see what that would happen. That was great. Uh, what, if, what if they edit out that second part? From Topic and Earwolf, this is Politically Reactive. I'm W. Kamau Bell. And I'm your Lord and Savior, Hari Kundabova. The show where two comedians try to make sense of politics in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. That's totally what we're going to do. Yeah. The first thing many people did after the election, okay, well, after we all did. Oh, my God, I can't, I can't believe, believe this is happening. This is real life. But the first thing after that was to say, what do we do now? Well, today's guests were answering that question from before the election, and they were one of the first to answer the question, what can I do in this new world? We'll be talking to Kate Schatz and Miriam Klein-Stahl, the author and illustrator of one of the most awesome children's books of all time, Rad American Women A to Z. The New York Times bestselling book uses the alphabet to illustrate a diverse group of 26 amazing women. Teen Vogue called it the history of feminism in an awesome picture book. The ABC's just got a major girl power upgrade. Yeah. Dolores. Dolores H is for Hazel, Hazel Scott. I is for Isadora, Isadora Duncan. This book is required reading in my house for the kids and the adults. My personal favorite is C is for Carol, as in Carol Burnett, who doesn't get anywhere near enough credit for what she did in show business. My daughter's favorite is F is for Flojo. If you ask her who her favorite superhero is, she'll say Flojo. Olympic record holder, American record holder, she did all that today. And my favorite is E is for Ella, Ella Baker. The voice of those who believe that life is more sacred than property must be heard now at no other time. Their books, by definition, are all about promoting inclusion, which is what we need now more than ever. And these women live this life all throughout their work. Miriam is the co-founder of the Arts and Humanities Academy at Berkeley High, a public high school in my neighborhood. And Miriam has taught there for over 20 years. I even was invited to talk to the students, and it went okay. And Kate is one of the founders and organizers of Solidarity Sundays, along with Ginny Garibaldi and Leslie Dotson Van Every. We've joined a network of women feminists called Solidarity Sundays, and it started in California before the election with just really coming together to organize, and even though it may seem little, just having that start. It started out before the election in pretty small order, but after the election, it has exploded to a nationwide network of over 100 feminist action groups taking action to resist. When you're asking yourself what you can do, you go to Solidarity Sundays, you show up at someone's house, they give you a list of things to do, whether it's postcards or phone calls or tweets or social media, and there's snacks, it's local, it's grassroots, and most importantly, it's community building. And if Solidarity Sundays works well enough, maybe we'll have Solidarity all week long. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> oh, your youth is cute sometimes, Harry. It's all coming up on Politically Reactive. Hey, Harry. Hey, Kamal. How you doing? I'm all right. Uh, we should let the listeners know this is being recorded on Monday, May 15th. We've decided to do this every time we record the uh, intro to the show now, just because uh, uh, the world moves fast out there. 
Yeah. Again, we also do it as a kind of a document. If the world was to end and aliens were to find this at some point, uh, they would be able to to know when this happened. I think yes. it's important to document that for a future species. For future aliens. For our future, future alien invaders. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. Uh, so we have a great show today. Uh, we have uh, Kate Schatz and Miriam Klein-Stahl, both of whom were friends of mine. They are the authors of the book, Rad American Women A to Z and Rad Women Worldwide. But before we get there, we need to talk about something that happened on last week's episode with Angela Rye. That episode was amazing. Angela was great. A lot of people really gave us a lot of positive feedback about it. We're happy, happy about that. Happy, happy is a new thing I'm saying, apparently. Uh, but we got called out for using uh, a, a native term inappropriately. Hurry. <laughs> uh, the, the term uh, spirit animal was used. I did not know this is a term uh, we should not use. And then it was repeated in the what did we learn section because I read it off the paper uh, that <laughs> says what did we learn. That, a, a, little bit of a, a little bit of a trade secret. I don't know what I learned. Other people tell me what I learned. And then I, I read what I learned. And then I learned some more after I read it, which is that I, sh- I shouldn't have learned that. Um, so that basically what you're saying is there's, there's a lot of blame to go around. It's like, it's, it's like yeah, we all kind of screwed up on this one. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I feel bad because I, I had no idea that spirit animal wasn't a cool term, wasn't something we should be using. I didn't know the history of it. I had, I had no idea. And I know you felt bad as well uh, because you did know. Yeah, uh, that's at the end, if you recall. Like, first of all, we just going to say Angela Rye said it. She also uh, got pushed back online. Some, or somebody pulled her coat, and she somebody sent her an article apparently, so she understands now too. Uh, I Years ago I said spirit animal, I think, on Twitter, and somebody said don't use it. And then I said, well, what should I use instead? And somebody said Patronus. So that's why I said I say Patronus, which I should have just said, hurry, don't say spirit animal. I guess I should have interrupted Angela Rye too. It's just that was I was probably too scared. Just because she was on a roll, not scared, but I was like, "She's on a roll. Let's let her roll." Uh, yeah, I but, mean, you yeah. were worried about being, uh, you know, boy bide, which you were. <laughs> I ultimately, 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 I was boy bide. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, in the spirit of what this podcast is about, you know, so uh, first of all, I want to thank Madeline Ryder. She's the one who tweeted, "Oh dang, Harikanda Bolu got to the end of this week's politically reactive spirit animal ain't cool." Hashtag Native appropriation. So in the spirit of what we talk about in the show all the time, you know, sometimes we get called out by listeners and we don't agree. Sometimes we get called out by listeners and we understand. Which is this is one of that one of those times. So. So we decided uh, to call a friend of mine, Adrian Keene, who is not only a friend of mine, but is also the assistant professor of American studies and ethnic studies at Brown University. Her research areas include college access, transition and persistence for American Indian, Alaska, Native and Native Hawaiian students. She also has an amazing website called Native Appropriations, that nativeappropriations.com. She examines representations of Native peoples and popular culture and Native cultural appropriation and fashion and design. It's a wonderful website you should go to. Completely, I think, qualified to talk to about this and to call us out and tell us what we should do differently. So, so uh, here is my buddy uh, Adrian Keen, Doctor Adrian Keen. Hey Adrian, it's Hari. Hi Hari. Um, so uh, Kamau and I, Kamau's on the phone too. Yes, I'm here. Hi, nice to Hi, sort of meet you. So we kind of goofed a little bit last week on the podcast. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound good. You're starting in a bad place. <laughs> we, we, uh, we, there was there was there were two mistakes were made. Uh Harry, I'll let you take it from here. Two mistakes were made. Uh <laughs> I didn't realize spirit animal wasn't a phrase uh, we shouldn't use. 
And uh, that was one thing. And Kamau knew it wasn't, but didn't say anything. So uh, you know, we, we, we didn't do we didn't do good. We didn't do good. We we basically did the two things allies can screw up at: you not knowing and just sort of wading into something inappropriately, or then knowing but being too cowardly to say anything because they didn't want to interrupt the conversation. So uh, yeah, that is well, correct. I appreciate so- you having me on to talk about it then. Well, then, could you tell us, uh, first of all, what is a spirit animal? And secondly, why shouldn't non-natives use it? Use that phrase. Um, Okay. So, first of all, I'm going to give a huge disclaimer in that I am not Anishinaabe. So, I am a Cherokee person. Um, And it's almost like if a French person were to be describing a German tradition. So with that, <laughs> wow. I'm actually... So, we're all, so this is the third thing we've done wrong. We've actually called an inappropriate person because we assumed all, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's okay uh, because I think that there... I, I talk a lot about this idea of refusal in um, specifically in talking about Native stuff. So I think that it's perfectly fine for everyone to not get to know exactly where the tradition comes from and what it is and still realize that it's important and not something that we should be trivializing through uh, using it in this kind of flippant way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think, like, broad strokes, it's something that comes from traditions of Anishinaabe people, uh, Ojibwe people, kind of um, Great Lakes sort of region area. But the term spirit animal actually comes from white anthropologists. So this wasn't something that came from within Native communities. It was a term that they used to describe a tradition that had existed since time immemorial in these communities. So already it's kind of an outsider term for something that um, still has deep roots within communities. So that's the first part. And then the second part is sometimes people cry cultural appropriation with this. And I, this week, I don't know if you've been following, there's been all this stuff with like the appropriation prize in Canada. So if you don't know what that is, I would look up the hashtag appropriation prize on Twitter. So it's been a hot mess. And so I don't even think we need to describe it in terms of appropriation, just in that it pulls on really tired, uh, tired stereotypes of Native people. So it's this whole idea that like Native folks are mystical and tied to nature and the whole like Pocahontas with her raccoon and and hummingbird and grandma willow or whatever name is kind of idea so it's the total Hollywood Indian sort of stereotype my kind of Indian though (laughs) not not (laughs) Indian. Um, and so yeah I think it's just like when we use it in this way I mean people online say things like whiskey is my spirit animal or like just these very disrespectful things when you think about it as something that actually still has really deep spiritual roots in Native communities. So it kind of devalues it, it cheapens it when we use it in that way and takes away from the the actual spiritual power of the thing. I mean, you have an incredible website, nativeappropriations.com, uh, and you cover a lot of this stuff. But can you give us a few more examples of everyday things uh, that uh, maybe are part of the English language now that are completely disrespectful or appropriation, things that maybe we un- like we don't even consciously know we're doing. Are there other phrases or things that we do? Oh my god, I have a whole list. Um, so okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when folks call a meeting a powwow, um, that's not okay because uh, a powwow is an actual thing, um, an actual like community gathering uh, that we still do. 
the phrase low man on the totem pole. Uh, totem poles from the communities that make them. Again, that's uh, another community, not mine, but um, they tell stories. So there's not really like a hierarchy on the pole. And then the person, the like figure at the bottom is actually holding up the most weight. So that's a more, that's like an important position, not like a trivial one. Um, when people say circle the wagons, I think they're drawing upon really problematic Hollywood stereotypes of like pulling together the, the covered wagons to keep out the, the Indian raids at night. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, how many? Oh, I feel like there's so many more. Okay. Uh, circle the wagons, women, circle. Oh, off the reservation. Uh, politicians are fond of saying that, uh, for someone who is like, uh, like gone out of bounds, kind of crossed the line saying they've gone off the reservation. Clearly, hopefully I don't need to explain why that is super offensive. Nope. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, I think the thing that, that certainly the thing that I run into with this, and this is what happened to me. Somebody years ago called me out for spirit animal and I was like happy to go. Okay. And then I was like, well, what do I say when I want to say something makes, it feels like it's protecting me. Like I suddenly got into this place and somebody said Patronus. And I was like, okay, great. I'm not worried about offending Harry Potter fans. So that was the word I used. But then I do think there's a weird thing about like, complaining about not getting to use a word like I feel like it's so like I felt like even when I look back on that moment I'm like just just be creative invent your own thing <laughs> right. like why are you if I can't use your word can I use something else you know so I feel like that's like sort of putting it back on the person to to uh give you something else it's like very childish I I look right. back and think that way but um I don't even use Patronus even mad at JK Rowling right now so oh, I don't no. know what I'm supposed to use so I'm just out of it. I, I think I usually say like something, something is everything or is me or <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I guess I can't use anything right now. I'll just be like, I really like that thing. All right. Well, thank you for letting us call you like this. And, uh, you know, and also just say your website one more time. Um, it's nativeappropriations.com. And then I'm on Twitter is at nativeappropriations. All right. Well, thank you very much. And Thank uh, you, Adrian. You're, you're the best. Welcome. Thanks for doing this. So, yeah, uh, we're prepared to be told that we did things wrong and learn, which we did. Thank you to Dr. Keen. She's not my friend, so I have to call her Dr. Keen. And also, another listener, Christine Saxman, uh, said, uh, tweeted, not your spirit animal in loving accountability of our show. And she shared an article from SpiralNature.com. The title of the article is Not Your Spirit Animal, Cultural Appropriation, Misinformation, and the Internet, written by Donye Coles. So... Our coats have been duly pulled, and we will yes. not let our coats get so sloppy ever again on that subject. Yes, you got a couple of resources uh, to use uh, to learn more, and uh, I have been humbled. Today, I do not plan to yell at anyone. Which is great, because today's guests don't need to be yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> today's guests are Kate Schatz and Miriam Klein-Stahl. They are Bay Area artists, activists, and educators. Together, they published the New York Times best-selling children's book, Rad American Women A to Z, and their latest book is Rad Women Worldwide. They are friends of mine, so this is going to be a Kamau and Company show. Kate researched and wrote the stories for the books, and Miriam illustrates them, and we're very excited to have them on the show. This interview was originally recorded March 5th, but the world is just as bad, if not worse, as it was on March 5th. All right, let's talk to Kate and Miriam. 
welcome to Politically Reactive. <laughs> we just had a whole conversation that's not going to go on this, right, right. as we do. Are we starting now? We're starting yeah. now. Oh, yeah, we're yeah, rolling, Bob. Yeah, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so first of all, uh, I'll just say, I'll start because I feel like I have been fans of your work from before, obviously since before I met you two. The book Rad American Women sort of just dropped out of the sky, it seemed like, at a time when Accurate. I had like a three-year-old daughter who was mm-hmm. like, we got to figure out the right media sources and mm-hmm. we got to figure out the – and all of a sudden like the skies opened up and a beam of light came down and this book sort of floated into our, <laughs> into our life. And it was just like – and I was telling Harry before we started that like – so my daughter was three when we started reading the book. And I just sort of opened it up, and it was like, oh, it started with Angela Davis. Let me grab the book, because I think I want to do it the way that it actually happened when I was actually with Sammy reading the book. I was like, all right, Sammy, let's read this book. Angela Davis, <laughs> who never backs down from a fight for justice. Angela Davis was born in 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama, into a neighborhood known as Dynamite Hill because of a group of racist white men called the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, all right, Sammy. <laughs> 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 like, it was just sort of like, yeah. oh, we're in this. We're, yeah. we're in this. We're in it's, this. Uh, we're doing it. You know... It's not a subtle book. You know, I mean, you open it up and A is for Angela Davis, you automatically right. are like, okay, this is not like Frog and Toad or Friends. You know, <laughs> is there an ideal ra- age range for, you know, for, for kids? I mean, we say that it's a children's book for everyone of right, all ages. Right, right. Um, you know, I think that, uh, no, I don't think there's an ideal range, actually. Okay. I mean, publishers will make you say that and they put it in the category of like middle grade, which is like, Eight to fourteen, right. maybe. Um, but I think it works well for younger kids, and adults love it. So right. um, we have found many things about the book have surprised us greatly since it came out, um, such as the fact that this many people will buy a book that talks about the KKK in Angela Davis <laughs> in the first sentence. Not a lot um, of kids' books start with the KKK. Not a Normally, lot, but no, maybe yeah. more should. That, um, you're right about that. But and, I, I think even for a three-year-old, like you were reading it to your three-year-old. Um, they're totally intrigued by the page with an image and just the A is for Angela and just seeing like the bold black and white shapes. Mm-hmm. And then I, I love the book because then as they grow a little older, then they'll read the other side of the image right. and yeah. who and then she they'll, was. Then and they'll get even did. older and they'll be like, damn, my dad was reading me a book about the KKK. I feel like my mom did stuff like that for me, but she yeah. didn't have access to, there wasn't this kind of media or less this amount of it, you know? And so, you know, uh, she was just reading Roots to me over and over again. But but it was just the fact that, like, I was aware, too, that, like, well, I can skip this and sort of find a more friendly Mm -hmm. thing. Or I can go, so let's talk about the KKK, Mm -hmm. which I eventually started to do that. And now it's like I think it is, you know, the thing that this book and other media like this helped me learn is that kids handle whatever you put in front of them. And when they don't get it, they'll say, I don't get that. Yes. How did you explain the KKK to your daughter? I mean, you sort of go, you sort of, it ends up, well, luckily, kids' literature has bad guys and good guys. Right. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very much about bad guys and good guys, and the KKK is bad guys. You know, like, it's just, it's very easy once you sort of get through the, like, you don't have to go, Mm Well, after Reconstruction, (laughs) Southern Democrats were pretty upset about it. Plus, they dress like bad guys. Yeah, Yeah, they they look like goats. They they look like scary ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. And kids have a great sense of justice, though. Like, they can really, like, identify right and wrong in a way that older people can't. Well, kids are are kind of obsessed with right and wrong, right? Mm -hmm. They're obsessed with sharing or not sharing and Mm -hmm. someone being, you know, good guys and bad guys. And, you know, in in writing the book, uh, but it was a thing, you know, like, oh, how do we explain these really complicated topics? How do you, and I really think that often just the most direct, simple way 
is the way to go. So just saying a group of the KKK, a group of racist white men. That's yeah. that's what they were. And there's there's gradations of how you explain it. When they're older, you get more complicated. At some point, you get into Reconstruction. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Southern Democrats. But also, it's basically they were bad, a group of bad racist men who did really terrible, scary things. Yeah. So the A to Z part, that's a way to keep the children focused because you're going from letter to letter. That's something they can definitely mm-hmm. connect with as well as the, the imagery. Um, do, how much of the writing did you also think would educate the parents? Because it's not like the parents know every single you know, yeah. woman in this list and it's not like they know all the details. So it's probably getting to them as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know about all these people before I started writing it. So it's right. definitely intended to educate a wide range of people. You know, I think that from the beginning, we were interested in making a book that would be appealing to parents and kids. You know, we're both uh, moms and, you know, there's a lot of children's book out there that, I'm so sick of reading <laughs> it. And I was pretty psyched to think about like how do you create a book that can like have a broad appeal, like that kids could like and adults could like. And yeah. I think that part of it in writing it, I tried to just write it really directly. I didn't want to dumb it down. I don't think kids need information to be dumbed down. It doesn't need to be super flashy and fluffy to be engaging for kids. I think they're good stories no matter how old you are. And that's why I think Miriam's art works really well too because it's super graphic and bold and gets kids' attention and they like it. But it's also beautiful art and it's modern and it's something that, you know, uh, people without kids are happy to have on their coffee table. How did you decide to both start working with each other? How did that conversation happen? Uh, I sent Miriam a really long email that was like, I'm sure you're really busy. I don't know if you'd want to do this. Had you two met before? Uh, we had a lot of mutual uh, friends. And we and so I knew Miriam's work. Um, and I'd seen, I feel like, every punk and, and or social activist in the Bay Area has like one of her T-shirts or <laughs> awesome. one of her posters in their living room. Um, and I had seen her like beautiful woodcut of James Baldwin that lots of people had. I literally had seen lots of T-shirts with her stuff on it. And I just loved the bold graphic look of it and I thought that that would be a really good compliment to the stories because I wanted them to I wanted the art to reflect the strength of the women that we were that I was writing about so I, I yeah I sent her a really long rambling email that was like yeah, I'm sure you're really busy and uh she wrote back and just said yes let's do it <laughs> and then like then I was like, I've already got B A uh, through B done I was like okay yeah right basically and then we got together and finished brainstorming and uh then she had almost all of them done and so I had like 70 percent of the women decided and then we kind of worked together to figure out the other ones and she pointed out that my original list of women was like almost all writers so we had to to diversify on that level because we really try to have a wide range of people there's athletes and artists and punks and uh, leaders and well, you talk about that's got to be. I mean, you're sort of putting yourself, I, as you know, within you have this and you have red, red women worldwide. The minute you make a list, mm. you're mm-hmm. putting yourself on the chopping block. You're yes. saying, throw us in the wood chipper. Yes. Tell us how we <laughs> tell us how we did this wrong. You know, and clearly there's an effort here for like diversity of profession, diversity of, of media, but also diversity of people. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and so. How I would imagine that when you decided on the A to Z, there was still a moment of like, can we do three Bs or two oh, yeah. Zs? You know, like. Yeah, it's hard. And, you know, I think that like, you know, there's definitely sometimes where people will be like, I can't believe you didn't include so and so. But but it, like people don't clap back too hard on that. It, mostly it gets them think. I like it because it gets them thinking. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll be like, oh, do you have, you know, is is R for Rosa Parks? And I say, mm-hmm. no, it's not. You know, it's for Rachel Carson. Hurry, sit back, and I'm going to read you an excerpt from the book Rad American Women A to Z. Okay, Kamau. This is ours for Rachel. 
Rachel is most famous for her last book, Silent Spring, which is about the danger of a pesticide called DDT that was being sprayed on plants to control insects. Rachel's research showed that chemicals like DDT were harmful to the environment, even though the companies that made them told the public that they were safe. She knew the book would be controversial, and at first she was scared to write it, but she knew she had to expose the truth. The makers of DDT did attack her, and she defended her research. Silent Spring became a bestseller, and Rachel appeared before Congress to testify about the dangers of pesticides. They listened, and soon DDT was banned. Rachel's passion for nature and her brave commitment to telling the truth helped start the modern environmental movement. And that's why we say R is for Rachel. That's the same tone I read books in for my daughter Sammy and Juno. But usually I do some ad-libbing. Like I would go, Silent Spring became a bestseller. That means it was very popular and sold a lot of books, unlike Dada's book, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. And Rachel appeared before Congress. That's where white people don't work very hard to testify about the dangers of pesticides. That's why your family buys organic. Congress listened and soon DDT, which was really evil like way worse than Swiper from Door the Explorer, was banned. I do a lot of ad-libbing in my house. But then it gets them thinking of like, oh, well, who else could be for a letter? Like, do you, is, this, yeah. is this letter for so-and-so? And, -so? and it, it actually gets you thinking about all these other right, women. But, we, but you say we don't have Rosa Parks, but we have Ella Baker. Who right. Yeah. Also Which is one of – whenever I talk to kids and we, we do a lot of school visits, so kids always ask if R is for Rosa Parks. And then I say no, and they'll be like all really sad. And I say, well, raise your hand if you've heard of Rosa Parks. Mm. And they all raise their hand. And then I say, raise your hand if you've heard of Ella Baker. And well, if it's a school in Oakland, then like all of them. <laughs> but, but, uh, but usually, like yeah. not a lot. And then I'll say like, how many of you have heard of Odetta? And they don't raise their hand. And I say, so that's why. Because Ella Baker was another woman in the civil rights movement. She was actually a mentor to Rosa Parks. Odetta was Rosa Parks' famous or favorite singer of all time. But you've all heard of this person, so we decided to put these other women in so you could learn about more. Yeah, like, what's the oh. point of putting in people uh, it, that you've already heard of? Yeah. You know, I, it's funny. During my, uh, I have a, a show that I do at colleges, and I, at, at the beginning I list about ending racism. At the beginning I list words you won't hear in the show, and three of the words are Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> For that same reason, like, we're not going to do that. We, we've already yeah. talked about that. We don't need to go there again, you know. So yeah. it's that same thing about, like, there's people that we would all expect would be in there, which is why they're not in there. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and we try to, we do try to have a mix of some more recognizable people, right? Especially with the worldwide book. So the cover, you have Frida Kahlo and you have Malala on the cover who are probably the most recognizable people in the book. And that's, you know, partly about we want people to pick this up. And if mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of women that no one's ever heard of and don't yeah. recognize, they might be less likely. Yes. You know, so we have more recognizable people in there. But they're alongside folks who are way more obscure um, and who aren't as well known. And it uh, opens it up for people to learn about them. Mm -hmm. are, there, are there any regrets of people you wish you had gotten in on second? Like, oh, maybe we should have done this. Like, do you, is that a thing you, you think about or at a certain point you just have to let it go? Kate doesn't think about it, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Miriam, we, talk we, about her. We, we only had talk about it. We we're great collaborators. We just had one disagreement over yeah. S. We had a fist fight. Miriam punched <laughs> me in the face. Oh, no. wait, wait, I feel like Kate I got to look yes. yeah. in the original in the original book. Yes. Yeah. Who's S? Miriam wanted uh, Sister Karita Kent, the amazing radical nun. An artist, um, but oh, Sonia Sotomayor. Sonia won. Ooh. It was a battle between That's Sonia. Hard to, I understand. It's hard to keep Karita. out Sonia, but I also understand. Very people already know who Sonia is. She's yeah. already got her. Home. She's got a job for life, so people have a long time to hear about her. Oh. 
Now, Sonia Sotomayor might have made the book, but we can't forget about Sister Corita Kent. Sister Corita Kent was an artist, educator, and social justice advocate. Her banners and posters were visible at civil rights and anti-war protests in the 60s and 70s. Her work, especially in the 60s, took on social justice themes and encouraged viewers to tackle poverty and racism. In 1983, she was commissioned by an organization called Physicians for Social Responsibility to create a billboard. It read, quote, we can create life without war. Sister Kent said it was the most religious thing she'd ever done. Even though she had a 30-year career as an artist, she was never widely recognized as her peers, like, you know, Andy Warhol. This is probably because she didn't fit the idealized image of an artist at the time. She wasn't a man, and she was also a nun who wore a habit. She remained active in political and social causes until her death in 1986. Now, she didn't make the book, but she's definitely going to make this podcast. Are you trying to start a competing book? Well, no, this isn't a book. It's a podcast. Oh, so you're saying it's better than the book. Wow. Okay. No, I'm just saying it's better than a podcast, and they don't have a podcast, so it's better than their no podcast. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Okay. Can I not say that? Yeah, you just did. Sonia's a great one. I love reading that to kids, too. And yeah. I think when you think of, like, having a diversity of professions and, like, future possibilities in yeah. here, yeah. it's a cool it's good one to for know them you, to uh, see. Supreme Court justice is on yeah. your list of possibilities. Yeah. And her story is totally fascinating. Mm-hmm. Giving herself insulin shots is like a six-year-old or wow. something. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Who, uh, who is X and who is Z? X is Z was special. the one I feel like it's easy. I mean, I like. I was like, it's Z's got to be. Yeah, and it was Z was who I thought. Z was, was very easy. Z is for Zora Neale Hurston. Okay, that would have been yeah. That, you know, and it's interesting. The, the hardest letters were not the ones like Z or X or Q. Yeah, the hardest ones were like A and E. Because everybody, where you have a lot of M. names right. that start with them. So X in this book. Um, so. X is our kind of secret page. So mm. X is for the uh, women whose names we don't know. And so I wrote a piece that acknowledges uh, all of the women who've done amazing things whose stories we don't know, um, either because they have been written out of history or because they were random women living their everyday lives, doing incredible things and raising families and working. Um, but then X is also for the future. So it has a part about how you know X is, you know, it's the... It's the variable. It's what we don't know. So it's for all the kids and uh, people reading the book who are going to go on to do yeah, rad things. So there's no famous read. women named X? <laughs> I mean, there are. Now, of course, X that is Cervenka. one. Yeah, yeah, uh, except for that her name starts with e. e, and she's also hella weird now. I know. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like we just got a window into a conversation that was had at one point. <laughs> who are we talking about? Xine Cervenka, the, uh, the, the singer punk singer huh. band X. from the band X. Huh. Yeah. But uh, so now certainly many people have pointed out like names that start with X. And if, of course. if there's ever a girl in a class where I'm reading this book whose name starts with X, she's like, there are names that start with X. <laughs> um, but that felt like a special little thing to yeah. do in the book. Um, and it's been a, a moving – when we read the book and we um, we usually have a guest to read that um, page. And uh, we awesome. have an awesome recording of Angela Davis reading it actually. Uh. X is for the radical histories that didn't get recorded. X is for our mothers, our matriarchs, our ancestors, the nurses and neighbors and aunties and teachers, the women who made huge changes and the women who made dinner. X is for the hands that built and shared and wrote and fought, the bodies that birthed and worked and strained to keep going, the feet that walked, ran, jumped and balanced, the minds that dreamed and desired, the hearts that loved. 
X is also for all that's happening now and all that is still to come. X is for the women in homes and offices and fields and labs and classrooms who invent and transform and build and create. X is for all we don't know about the past, but X is also for the future. X marks the spot where we stand today. What will you do to make the world rad? Yeah. And the other thing that you've pulled our family all into as we're on the subject of all this is Solidarity Sunday. Right on. Let's talk about that. I didn't realize that I just thought it was a thing that was out there and you sort of and you guys sort of like, oh, we'll just jump in on that. And then I'm looking today, I was like, oh, they was, can't, yeah. can't create it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Solidarity Sundays. Yes, yeah. with some with some friends. Yeah. Um, so Solidarity Sundays is a uh, now nationwide network of feminist, anti-racist activist groups that are all over the country. And we meet on the second Sunday of every month, in, uh, mostly in homes, but now people are starting to meet in like coffee shops and um, all kinds of interesting places. Um, and we take uh, political action. Um, we were we started about a year and a half ago. I started it with my good friend Leslie and Jenny. And we wanted to uh, bring people together in person to take action and kind of like encourage more activism. Um, and so this was in January 2016. So this was kind of following 2015, following Ferguson, um, following the kind of, of all the events, which all seem like so far away. Yeah, a millennia ago, Every, back in the Everything first seemed totally insane then, and yeah. it was. Um, and then there was like the San Bernardino shooting, and I feel like we were seeing so many people that we knew just kind of like freaking out on Facebook. Um, and I, I mean, I certainly come from an activist background, and I have a lot of friends in, you know, hardcore activist communities, but I have a lot of friends who aren't part of those worlds, and they're passionate, and they have a lot of opinions, and they're upset about what's happening in the world, but they didn't necessarily know how or where to plug in. So we have the idea to kind of have a house party once a month, invite people over, we'll make give you snacks, and we'll maybe have some cocktails, and we'll also give you a huge packet with a bunch of information and research and a bunch of phone numbers and emails of elected officials, and we'll tell you what to say. Mm-hmm. Again, we were meeting in just our house every month in Alameda, which is an island next to Oakland. Yes. <laughs> an island in many ways. And yes. we but we also have a face. It's, like, it's like Pleasantville, but with more dark people. Yeah, kind yeah, of ish. Yeah. And yeah, closer ish. closer to like San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we also have a Facebook group. So there are like seven hundred people in the Facebook group and one chapter of Solidarity Sundays. Post election, now we're a few months out. Now there's like 17,000 people in this Facebook group, and there are like 150 chapters of this wow. around the country. Um, yeah. And each month, so we have people that host in different cities all over, and the hosts really try to make it specific to their region. So a lot of them will just do actions that are focused on their city or their state. Um, but we put out every month um, for each meeting, we write us this kind of info script that all the hosts get. And it has suggestions for actions. And we write a lot of letters, we make phone calls, we have facilitated conversations and mm-hmm. and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and I, I, my family has participated in a couple of them. And I think it's, and that's also kid friendly, at least the ones that we've been yep. to it, uh, with uh, with Miriam. A, a lot of them have uh, child care. Yeah, we, they, yeah. We get. We've actually hired that child care person. And we, oh, a, lo- a lot has come out of Solidarity Sunday oh, for, the so well, for the so Bell family. Well, the family. The three of us that started it were all parents and of some really young kids. So we saw, I mean, I feel like that's a, important part of feminist organizing is including being able to include parents and 
you know, you need someone to watch your kids while you're, yeah, while you're fomenting revolution. <laughs> and you also want your kids to be around you while you're fomenting re- revolution. Yeah. You want them to sort of have it in the air. Yeah, but then you don't want do. them to be like all up in your face. So and having you also a don't want them to be bored. Right. Yeah, yes. you don't want them to be like, yeah, I feel so like they my color... mom let me be bored. So, yeah, but with, yeah, they get to, they get to actually do things like color things and yeah, yeah. Yeah, and for the to give them an opportunity to participate in some way, in yeah. a kid-friendly way. At our last one, uh, they filled out pink postcards to send a Trump on the 15th. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pink slip. The, yeah, yeah, the pink oh, slip, awesome. he, yeah. the you're fired pink slip. And yeah. they are hilarious. Oh, that was for the kids? I did one too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Adults do them okay, too. Okay, good. Yeah. Adults. Adults do them too, but some of the kid ones were so funny, like – you're a, you're a poop head, <laughs> and don't even try to get your job back because they won't let your poop head back in the White House. You know, it's funny because lots it, of poop jokes. In the past, I would have been like, "Well, that's a bad example of political discourse," and now I'm like, "Oh, that's par for the course." Yeah, that's, that's how it. that's how things They're work now. They're talking to him on yeah. his level. They're yeah. talking to him uh-huh. on a level. He like, I am not a poop head. Yeah, you're yeah. a poop head. Or I'm a third grader, and I know I'm smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not nobody can argue with that. We'll be right back after we take care of some business and some business. All right. Back to the show. I mean, I feel like, you know, Kamal and I have both have been asked, like, what do we do now? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's our, what are our next steps? And, and it seems so big. Everything seems so big. Yes. Um, how easy is this to replicate in, in someone's hometown? Like, what, what is needed in order to start one? Um, not much at all. I mean, it's super easy to replicate. I think that's why it's caught on. Um, And a lot, I mean, there's been all of these groups that have kind of sprung up. And I think that, you know, a lot of them are happening in this small way, like really community-based in people's homes. Um, And I think that's, you know, we have, there's a lot of like great online resources where there's huge groups and there's like activist Slack groups with tons of people or there's Facebook groups or there's, you know, but then having a small group of people that are coming together, even if it's just 10 people, I think is super easy um, and, and effective. So with us, you can go to SolidaritySundays.org and you fill out a little Google form about if you want to host and we'll be in touch. And we wrote out a whole guide for how to do it. Um, I mean, it's kind of hosting is it's kind of like hosting a party. Right. Slash, kind of being like a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. Slash, yeah, mo- mostly yeah, those it, two things. It's you know, yeah. it's like getting people in your home, and yeah. we make it. We try to make it really, really easy. That's kind of part I of it. I think Kate, Kate's being a little modest too mm-hmm. because she Weird. works really hard at Accurate. creating a, a script for hosts, so that you know anything that is happening in our world. Mm. Um, Kate is thinking really heavy on it mm. and thinking about like what are actions that you can take mm-hmm. in this three-hour chunk of time one Sunday a month that will address what is happening yeah. right now. For me, it was like you said, for th- in three hours, as somebody who attended not knowing what they were getting into, you can sort of walk out feeling like sometimes you want to feel like you did something. Mm-hmm. It's not just a, yeah. like the Facebook arguments, you know, they're sort of like, they're satisfying yes. when you get a good burn in. <laughs> but it's not like actually, like it's good to feel like I made a phone call or I filled out a postcard or I even met people in my community that I, some of whom I knew sort of, but that didn't mm-hmm. know in that way. And you feel like you're sort of building, I feel like to me, this is what I say to most of the time, we, we just have to be, we just have to be conscious of, of community building in a way that we weren't before, like showing up to places and sort of mm-hmm. putting our faces in there and letting people mm-hmm. know that we're a part of this community. We're not yep. just in the community. And by that example, like the first one I went to, the new mayor of Berkeley showed up. Yeah. And like it was just like hit, like going like, yeah, this – like again, he need, he knows he needs to be a part of this community. Yeah. Um, I think one of the strategies 
of the Trump administration is to exhaust us and mm-hmm. distract us. I mean, obvi- we know that one of the obvious strategies is like stupid tweets that distract us all, right? right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, quick, look over here, shiny tweet. Yeah. And then yeah. meanwhile, everything's getting destroyed. Um, yeah. But being able to kind of try to cut through the noise and get people to focus on here are some concrete actions you can take. You actually did something. Yeah. You didn't just come into the space and have like a frustrating, unguided conversation with a whole bunch of angry emotional yeah, it just people. Yeah, it wasn't just a venting session. <laughs> you know, which is like yeah. that. There's validity to that, but that's we try to keep it pretty focused and streamlined. Do you tailor, you know, because you're setting kind of the, the national agenda, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you – so you're not tailoring it per state or per region. That's up yeah. to the local organizer yeah. to do. We encourage yeah. the host and, – and my favorite thing about doing this is seeing all these hosts all over the country really take it and run with it, right? right. So like last month – because we then after each event, we asked the host to give us feedback and say like, hey, let us know. What did you do in your group? And so – there was a group in L.A. that focused their entire event on ICE raids and deportation in That's L.A. Yeah. There was a group in Miami that just focused on some environmental regulations like that were really Miami-specific. There was a group in Brooklyn that did a whole – had an artist come in and did a presentation called How Not to Be So Fucking Racist. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's people doing a really wide mm-hmm. range of things. And a lot of the groups have cool speakers coming in um, next Sunday. Um, we're going to have a Skype visit at our uh, group in Alameda with the – uh, Jess O'Connell, who's the executive director of Emily's List, the organization that supports women running for office. Um, so she's going to tell mm-hmm. us the badass women in politics we should be I, I always get that confused to. with Angie's List. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm, always like, I'm always like, man, Angie's List is doing a lot of things. <laughs> no, that, but Angie's List is, yeah. the, is how you get a plumber. Uh, Angie's yeah. List is for plumbers. Which is fine. Emily's List is for Senators. Senators. <laughs> <laughs> senator. Both very important. Both, yeah, both We essential. all need a, a good plumber and we yeah. all need a really good senator. Monthly donations to Emily's list, though. Hold up. Wait a minute. Emily's list helps pro choice Democratic women run for office at every level across the country. It started in 1985 because at the time there were only two women in the Senate. Florida Republican Paula Hawkins, and Kansas Republican Nancy Kassebaum. In addition, only 5% of the House were women, which is strange because, you know, 50% of America is women. Today, those congressional numbers are still depressingly low. Women only represent 26% of the Senate now and only 19% of the House, according to the Center for American Women in Politics, and also our eyes. If we continue at the same pace, it will be decades before we witness gender parity in politics. Along with Emily's List, there are groups working to close that gap. Groups like Emerge America, who focus on getting Democratic women elected to office. And also there's Ignite, which prepares young women across the country to become the next generation of political leaders. And also Jessica Byrd, who formerly worked at Emily's List. Her current business, Three Point Strategies, recruits people of color for office, especially black women. And as you might remember, we talked about her on our episode with Patrice Cullors. We're working on getting her on an upcoming episode, so stay tuned for that. So let's talk about this a little bit, too, because I, I noticed uh, as I was doing research for this, because I know you, but I was like, I need to actually know what I know. There's also in the same discussion with like the women's movement. And and I saw that you started your thing as Suffragette Sundays mm-hmm. until you realize that, like, you know, I'll let you explain why it's not yeah. that anymore. Yeah. But like, so just I just want to just say white lady feminism. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so for you to like, you know, talk about talk through that. Yeah. Um, well, I don't see color. Um, <laughs> oh, just kidding, everybody. I just wanted to see what that would happen. Uh, what, if, what if they edit out that second part? Uh, yeah, oh, 
<laughs> That's going to be, you won't believe what this white feminist <laughs> said. <laughs> Sorry, um, we have to get, we try, yeah. to, try to feed our kids. No, I love, this is actually one of my favorite topics. Um, yeah. I actually just wrote an essay for an anthology that's going to be coming out of anthology of uh, post-election letters. And I wrote a letter to white people um, and it starts off, it's referencing Baldwin's letters to his nephew, but I start off with saying, you know, did you wake up feeling horrible after the election? Did you feel like, you know, ever, no one had listened to you? Did you feel like you didn't matter? Is that the first time you felt that way? Congratulations. That's what it is to be white in America, right? This uh, is yeah. uh, So uh, all that is to say, I'm a white person and I'm one of the founders of Solidarity Sundays. We did begin as uh, Suffragette Sundays was our initial name. And I'm not my – one of my co-founders is a black woman um, – uh, but we started off with uh, Suffragette Sundays and because we were really thinking about the election, you know, uh, we wanted to, like, get women rallied up. Um, but, yeah, as a number of people pointed out, that's a pretty problematic term for a lot of women of color in particular. Mm -hmm. And at first I was coming from a place of thinking, you know, there were a lot of women of color. There were a lot of black women involved in the suffrage movements in the U.K., in the United States. And so that was kind of my reasoning. But that's, you know, that's a complicated history. And... Just hearing yes. a few people be like, "Yeah, this doesn't make me feel welcome." Yeah. We're like, "Oh, we're gonna change that." Yeah. Um, and that, and just that, I think I, I, we keep that story on our website because mm -hmm. I, I don't want to bury that, and, and I think it's really important for white people to acknowledge when they make mistakes, and it's so important. Like we heard that feedback, and it wasn't about getting defensive and being like, mm. "Well, but no, but you know," it was like, <laughs> "Oh, yeah, yeah, okay." Like yeah. I liked that name; it was cool, but. If it doesn't make you feel good and it makes yeah. you feel like you're not welcome, then we're going to change that shit yeah. and we're going to own it. And thank you for that feedback. And we're going to come up with a better name that now we all think is way cooler. Um, yeah, that's also more inclusive yeah. just to, by its very nature. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we're, I mean, we, we are. You cannot get with solidarity. Yeah. It is, well, we know who. But, it, uh, yeah. well, there <laughs> but, are some... but it's a very clear line on yes. one side and the other who, if you're not for solidarity, then yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. So um, in terms of uh, white feminism, I mean, we really kind of center or try to in our conversations with the people who are hosting, um, who are a lot of white women at this point, um, we have a whole anti-racist resource guide that I just sent out to all the hosts with a bunch of different articles on white privilege, what it means to be an ally, how to be anti-racist, and a lot of videos. We're going to do some film screenings. And so we're really trying to make those conversations central to what we're doing. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have jumped on with our group wanting to do something post-election to resist Trump. And that's obviously like numero uno job right now. Mm -hmm. But it also needs to be in a context of... Uh, resisting racism, resisting patriarchy and misogyny, resisting these systems that have been in place long before this motherfucker. The, system, yeah. <laughs> the systems that the gave systems birth that, to. The systems that have enabled yeah. it. The you systems, know? it's like the dirt that created the, 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 the pimple. Like he's yes. the pimple that was created by all this other stuff. Yeah. yeah, so we want to be people in these groups, you know, not only are we writing letters, but also we want them to be having conversations amongst themselves about, um, you know, what this looks like. And it's, you know, by creating a group that's really open to people from all different um, uh, backgrounds in terms of activism, I think it's a it's a challenge we've taken on for sure because there's people who've been like organizing for 30 years that are showing up to these meetings and there's people who are like the Women's March was their first march, right. you know. Um, and so we're – yeah, we're working on it. But we really try to keep that conversation about whiteness and about anti-racist work um, – really centered um, in everything that we do. And I'm really proud. We have um, – our Facebook group is – it's a pretty good space. It's pretty heavily moderated and I feel mm -hmm. good that there's not like, – we do not have any room for 
bullshit. Like white, <laughs> white fragility and white tears get like immediately shut down um, pretty quickly. And You've been banned for being wh- for, for white fragility. Yeah. I mean that actually yes. Oh no, wow. Just, no. Did I say enough about white feminism? Do you want me to say more? I think you did a good job, but I I, I think you asking even is better. Like the fact <laughs> that you're like that you're aware. I think I think I think good. I I I don't want to as a man. I don't necessarily want to judge your white feminism speech. Do you want I mean, a man? A, you want a, a man explain? As a black person, <laughs> I can judge it, but as I'm also equally a man. Yes. Uh, so you yeah. can mansplain my white. Yeah, exactly. Speech. Here's what I here's what I would have said. Yes. Uh, no, I think <laughs> you know I think these are topics in I mean the same way that I feel like I have to address my uh, madness in these spaces. Mm-hmm. Like I, when I'm at Solidarity Sunday, especially here, it's like it's a it's a space that is being run by women, and I, mm-hmm. and I've learned. And here's the thing too, as somebody who is seen as having some sort of influence, it's like shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like I, in those situations, I'm like if mm-hmm. somebody asks you to something, answer the question, but don't feel like don't lean into like sit back and absorb this right and yeah yeah. and i think that yes there are guys that come and i love when guys come and when Mm -hmm. people ask you know i'm like if they can yes like dudes Mm -hmm. feminist dudes are totally welcome Mm -hmm. um it's a woman run um and woman organized uh thing but guys are totally welcome well can we we can talk about this for a second and we can we can uh let you guys go about your 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 sunday today the thing that i find about being a man who wants to be identified as a feminist that's how I'm describing myself mm-hmm. I don't can't identify myself as a feminist because mm-hmm. I feel like a little bit it's like a guy who gives himself a black belt yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like it's a little bit like starting your own kung fu school going I now have a black belt because this is my school and I feel like and I've seen recently from things online of like male comedians who who have identified yeah, yeah, themselves yeah. as feminists like there's just so much stuff you can find out about a man that's not even illegal. That's yeah. just like, how are you going to be a feminist and do this? And so, I know me. what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I sort of feel like, at best, I feel like I've been awarded that title on occasion, but I can't. I feel like ah. the way I can do it is by not claiming it. That's and the same thing. I like. I won't call myself a feminist just because I don't. Because it's, it's easy to co-opt. There's mm-hmm. enough dudes that like every time a white person's like, "Well, I'm an anti-racist." I'm like, "Why do you gotta tell me that? <laughs> why, why don't you just do the work? Yeah. Just do the work. Just shut yeah. up and do the work. Let, don't let, be a jerk. Let somebody yeah. else tell you that. Let's yeah. let a, let yeah. a, let a yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 I don't need to claim that space. Yeah, no, I feel like, very much like. No, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that's you know the parallel is there, right? Like you, you do not decide that you're a, a white ally. You are a white ally, and when your actions speak for themselves, yeah. right? When your actions yeah. are. And when you get invited to Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. <laughs> like when, when people when those people want to hang out with you outside of the meeting. Like that's when I feel like it's like when when you're a friend not when the, you decide you are. Yeah. Like when the dude wears the uh this is what a feminist looks like and I'm like like I get it. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Like uh, uh, hopefully that uh, you know you didn't get that at urban outfitters <laughs> but I'm just saying that like just just prove it. Yeah, yeah Like yeah. the shirt's cool and all, but prove yeah, it. This yeah, isn't yeah. like uh, you're wearing a San Francisco Giants jersey. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You have to, yeah. to prove it. And then when the team gets bad, you go, I don't like this team anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. Well, thank you for coming today. Well, I'm glad we could lend some uh, legitimacy to your podcast because you haven't really had any high-profile guests before. So yeah. I'm, glad that we, I'm glad that you got, got some superstars with us. Thank you, for, thank, you for, thank you for agreeing to do I'm this. I'm happy to lend our big names we are happy to your to tiny you. podcast. We're happy for you to lend. <laughs> books. I looked at your past guests. I was like, never heard of them. <laughs> no, the, the books are unbelievable, and I, I would read them to my imaginary children. You can, you can read them. You know what? You will be a feminist if you read these books. Just, uh, you can, wow. That's you get the seal? See? You don't have to wear a t-shirt. You can just go like yeah. ride uh, Bart or the 
ride the subway and be right. reading this. Just hold yeah, it up. Yeah, hold it up. It up. Yeah. People will be like, oh, dude, that guy's a feminist. They Look would, at they him. Actually, he's got pictures of himself. People taking pictures of him sleeping on the subway. So this would be a better picture. Yeah, that, that has happened. If people are listening to this, please stop doing that. <laughs> or he's, stop taking pictures of me. Or he's journaling in our next book. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, oh, have, we have a journal. We, we made a journal called uh, My Rad Life that comes that out, out in July. All right. Well, I'm glad we got that plug in. Yeah, yeah, Can't yeah. Can't almost didn't get the plug oh, in. Oh, look. You got a bookmark of it right in front of you. Oh, a little, oh, little drawing of Bell oh, Hooks. There's, oh, there's my That's, friend, Bell Hooks. <laughs> yeah. Bell Hooks wants to marry her. That's a whole other podcast. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, I know Bell. She's oh, wonderful. Are, oh, you are a feminist. Look at you. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> the one male feminist. That's the book he's writing. <laughs> well, thank you for coming. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Thanks for podcasting. Happy to be here. See you at the next Solidarity Sunday. Absolutely. See you next week. So, Kamau, what did you learn today? I learned it's easy to tell your kids about the KKK because the KKK is literally cartoon bad guys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, it's weird that people thought they were good guys when they were covering their faces and they looked like ghosts and they set fire to things. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. It's funny. I learned that you need childcare while fomenting revolution. That's true. I knew that already. But yes, so when you have kids, you're going to need child care while you're actually having yes. meetings in the basement. when I have kids. I learned that I'm not a feminist. Or am I? Or maybe I'm not. Or wait, maybe I am. All I know is I'm not wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm not going to wear those. I'm a fe- Like, what is the... What does that say? For people who are listening, you should know that Hari's literally not wearing a t-shirt right now. He's just sitting here with no shirt on. Yeah, that's Just correct. to make it clear that he's not a feminist. No. No. I learned that as a parent, I feel totally okay with kids calling the president a poopy head. Yeah. Yeah. As a non-parent, I'm also okay with that. And uh, I think, well, it's words that he would understand those words. Yep. It's yeah. on his level. Yeah. he probably That probably is predictive text in his phone. If he starts pee, they go, do you mean poopy Poopies? head? It's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> do you mean President Obama's a poopy head? <laughs> uh, I learned that it's easy to start Solidarity Sunday in your hometown. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kate has a wonderful way to get you started. And then it's up to you. And you can decide how you want to run your Solidarity Sunday. But, like, there's a, a great support system in place for you. SolidaritySundays.org. Yeah. It's all right there. Uh, I've learned that white fragility and white tears are not welcome on the Solidarity Sunday's Facebook group, which is fine because they're not welcome around me either. Yeah, I just, I'm not, I hate it. I yeah. mean, I know this is a bit of a but it's just, it's annoying where, like, I tell you, like, that, uh, that, that you did a racist thing, and then, oh, I feel bad, now I gotta make you feel good? Some yeah. sick shit. Them yeah. sick white shit. Yeah, I've had that a lot after shows recently. Like, well, what am I supposed to do? And I go, well, there's, uh, you know, there's Surge. And now I'll say there's Solidarity Sundays. And they go, but what am I supposed to do? I just gave you two things. I just named two <laughs> what am I supposed to I just said, I email, you know, like it was like, they really want you. Oh, you want me to pick you up and carry you around in your life and just hold you. They, they want moments. you to like, like basically baptize them to get the guilt away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You are clean now. <laughs> All sin is what, off you. What do I need to do so I can just... Keep watching Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks again to Kate Schatz and Miriam Kleinstahl. Please check out their great books, Rad American Women A to Z and Rad Women Worldwide. And be on the lookout for their new project, My Rad Life, a journal. That's out later this summer. For all those projects, check out radamericanwomen.com. You can follow them on Twitter at RadWomenA2Z. That's RadWomenA-T-O-Z. And to find Solidarity Sundays near you, visit SolidaritySundays.org. And if you can't find one in your town, SolidaritySundays.org shows you how to start your own. 
resist your own way. Thanks to those of you who have commented on Twitter using the hashtag politically reactive. Just keep doing that. And also hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. And also get familiar with my block button. And we'd love to see you at one of our live politically reactive shows. We'll be at the Limestone Comedy Festival in Bloomington, Indiana. The show is Friday, June 2nd. Tickets are available at limestonefest.com. We'll also be at the Comedy Central Colossal Clusterfest in San Francisco. That's on Sunday, June 4th. Tickets are at clusterfest.com. And I still have a surprise album out called Hurry Kundabolu's New Material Night Volume 1. You can find it at hurrykundabolu.com, which should also provide you with information uh, for getting my previous album, Mainstream American Comic, and the one before that, Waiting for 2042. Uh, also, I just want to thank you all for coming to my shows in uh, Minneapolis, Madison, and New York City. I know I yell a lot, and I just want to apologize for being so aggressive. You're all really wonderful. I have shows coming up soon. You'll get the info soon uh, about Burlington, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. We'll get that info to you once the tickets are are posted. Uh, and also, my little brother, Ashok Dapwell Kundabolu, has a new video series on his Twitter called Hey, How You Doing? along with some great poetry. That's at Dapwell, at D-A-P-W-E-L-L on, uh, on the Twitter. And I've got a new book out, The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. Not a New York Times bestseller, but pick it up at your local bookstore or at wkamaubell.com. And I've got a few dates in the next few weeks also. Tonight, don't miss Kamau right now at the historic Bayview Opera House in San Francisco. That's May 18th if you're listening today. And on May 19th, I'll be in Eugene, Oregon. And on May 20th, I'll be in Seattle. And uh, Harry, I'm going to let you take it from here. Don't disappoint me, okay? I, I, well, I'm not going to yell at you about my stuff anymore, but Kamau is my friend, Seattle. You owe me. You owe me to go see him. He is that good. I'm, I feel terrible. I'm not going to get there till the next day. I'm going to miss it. It's, it's heartbreaking. The legendary Dwayne Kennedy is opening. This is a hell of a show at the Neptune. Do not disappoint me. See my friends. Buy their stuff. And on June 8th, I'll be in Baltimore, Maryland. June 9th, I'll be in Arlington, Virginia. And June 10th, I'll be in Northville, Virginia. Also be on the lookout for the fourth episode of my CNN show, United Shades of America. You can catch it Sundays at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. This Sunday, we're talking about Arabs and Muslims, and it features our friend and guest of Politically Reactive, Zara Norbosh. Politically Reactive is a production of Topic and distributed by Earwolf. Our executive producers are Lisa Langang and Lita Malad. The show is produced by Max Jacobs, Erica Moo, and Laura Flynn. The show is engineered by Dan Gallucci. Good old Dan Gallucci. And thanks to Alberto Hernandez at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley. Bad old Alberto Hernandez. Thanks to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios in New York. And thanks, as always, to Brontes Purnell for providing music for the show. Hold up. 